13 through 43, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. And follow along as I read aloud. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood, all, excuse me, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord today. Well, last week, uh, Laura and I were, were not here. We were in sunny, warm Sarasota, Florida. Right at about this time, we were praying for all of you, but I wasn't praying wearing jeans and a sweater. I was wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. It was so beautiful and warm, but I have to tell you, we missed you so much. Thanks so much, Pastor Hank, for preaching the word for us last week, and thanks for all of you that, that were here and and worshiping. I'm so glad that the church is not centered on any one man or woman here in this earth. It's centered on Jesus, and he's always with us. I'm so thankful for that. But we had a great time. We were down in Sarasota. We were a part of a, a, a retreat there uh, put on by our church network. If you don't know this about us, uh, we're a part of a, a larger network of churches, not a denomination, but a network of churches that partner together for gospel ministry called the Great Commission Collective. And they had a retreat there for pastors and wives. And we just got to hear and see and enjoy so many of the great things that God is doing in our network together. And we got to share stories of what God is doing here in, in Fairfax Bible Church and in Northern Virginia and the greater D.C. area. So it's an honor to, to get to go and represent you there to be a part of that. But, but this morning, we're going to continue on in a series, a, a series of series actually, throughout the book of Acts that we've been looking at together. We, we left off in Acts 9.31, actually, way back in November. And so if you recall in, in, in chapter 9, verse 31, it says that the, the church was experiencing a season of, of peace and, and growth. Uh, we saw the story of Saul, the persecutor of the church, and the persecutor of Jesus. He became Saul, the persecuted for Jesus. He became Saul, the preacher of the gospel. Instead of trying to shut down Christianity, he became one of its strongest advocates. And so it says there at the end of that section that the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now that sounds like the ending to a great story, right? 
the church was being built up, there was peace, and there was protection, and, and people were coming to the faith in Jesus, and their hearts were comforted after a season of intense persecution. And you could almost see the end of the movie, the screen kind of fades to black, and you see the end. And they lived happily ever after. Sounds like a great ending to the story. What a happy ending. Look at all that the apostles had done. Jesus had fulfilled his promise to send the Spirit and make them witnesses. People were turning from their sin and committing their lives to Jesus in faith. They saw baptisms. They even had courage under persecution. We saw that Philip, he was an evangelist. He was going around and witnessing to the truths about Jesus to the towns around Jerusalem. And people were being transformed by the power of the gospel. Mission accomplished, right? Jesus, you could almost imagine the apostles thinking to themselves, well, maybe he's telling us, nice work. Go ahead, put your feet up and, and relax for a while. But we know that that was not the end of the mission that Jesus had given to them. Acts 1.8 is a reminder to us. Every time we, we come to this text, we've got to remember, what's the purpose statement? What's the key verse to this whole book? And we find that in Acts 1.8. And, and Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That happened. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. And that's happened too up to this point in the book of Acts. But Jesus says this, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Oh my the story's not done. It's getting bigger. Things still have to happen to see this good news. These disciples, these witnesses go to the end of the earth. That's a lot of witnessing still left to be done. What's next? Is Jesus done? We don't see much else happening in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria in the rest of the book, actually. Nothing new, that is. That, that doesn't mean that nothing's happening, though. We just don't read about it. But was Jesus quiet? Was he taking a break? Was he taking a retreat, <laughs> right? The apostles, even Peter, seem to have run out of ideas for expansion. Like, what do we do next? In verse 32, we just read it. It says that Peter was going here and there among all the disciples. He's like, I'll just go visit them, see how they're doing, minister to them, teach them, help them, them grow in their faith. But could they be satisfied staying in that spot? I think we're going to see over the next four weeks that in surprising ways, even to the apostles, Jesus was on the move. Jesus was on the move. Jesus had work and plans and strategies and things that he was accomplishing that many of the apostles couldn't have even dreamed of. And we see it this morning that, that Peter's just going down to hang out with the disciples and see what they're doing. But, but when he shows up to this first town in Lydda, and then when he goes to Joppa, he realizes Jesus is on the move. One of my favorite stories, I, I love fantasy stories, specifically J.R. Tolkien, but also C.S. Lewis. I've got a photo here from you, for you of Aslan the Lion from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that's written by C.S. Lewis. Of course, he didn't make the movie. That's an image from the movie. But I love it when all seems darkest and at, at its worst in that story, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the children, if you know the story, they, by the way, this spoiler alert, here we go, right? They walk into this wardrobe and they find that they're in this, this amazing, fantastical world. And they're speaking animals, talking animals, but they're on the run from this wicked, wicked witch who has this spell of winter over all of Narnia, the, land, the name of this land. And, and the children are met by some beavers, and they're trying to flee and escape because they're being hunted. And they, they go into this little house that's built on the dam by these beavers, again, who talk, right? And I love this moment 
They feel the cold. They feel the darkness. They know that things are bad. And Mr. Beaver says something to them. He says, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. And Lewis writes this in, in response of the children. Now, a various, very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do, but the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if this has this some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could go into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. What a feeling the words that Aslan is on the move. The excitement, the awe, the wonder, the adventure. Aslan is the hero of the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, and he was on the move when things seemed that they were at their worst. When the days were darkest and coldest in Narnia, there was hope because Aslan was on the move. And here we have Peter, and he's just walking around, and he's got to be wondering to himself, what's next? We find something through this story today that's giving us an inkling to understand that Jesus was on the move. But what about us today? What about us? What about you? Do you believe that Jesus is on the move in your life? And, and how would that change how you live today? How would that change how you wake up in the morning? How would that change how you go to work? How would that change how you live in your homes? How would that change how you live today to know that Jesus, the hero of our story, is on the move? How does that change how we live as a community of Jesus? And that leads us to our big idea this morning. Now we're going to jump right back into the text. Our big idea is this. Jesus is on the move, and Jesus heals to show us he's the author of life. Jesus heals to show us that he's the author of life. He does the miraculous to remind us and give a glimpse to us every now and again, I am the king of all the universe. I am the Lord over all, and when I speak the word, people are healed. When I speak the word, dead come out of their graves. When I speak the word, people are transformed deep down to the core of their being, in their very hearts. Jesus is on the move, and Jesus heals to show us he's the author of life. We see two acts from this passage today. The first act that we see is this. Jesus heals Ananias. Now, we just take a look at it here very briefly. It's, it's a pretty simple story. I think you get it, right? But, but we see Peter goes down to Lydda. It's west of Jerusalem. It's in Judea. If you, if you kind of know the geography of Israel, which you might not, that's okay. But Jerusalem is up in the hills, and he comes down to this flat plain that's heading toward the Mediterranean Sea. He's heading west. But he's still in Judea. He's still within the safe boundaries of the Jewish community. He's not really taking much of a risk going down to Lydda, but it is going a little bit farther away from Jerusalem. And he comes into this town, and he's ministering to the saints. And he comes across this man who is likely a disciple also named Ananias. 
And verse 33 says that this man was bedridden for eight years, and he was paralyzed. Now, we don't know if it was from the legs down or if it's his whole body, but we know that he can't get up and walk around. It's, it's clear, it's unquestionable that this man has a need. There's no doubt about his disability. Now, I believe Luke, who, who's the author of the book of Acts, he's also the author of the gospel that has his name. You want to think about Luke and Acts as, as really two parts of the same story. We're reading the second part, and as we read this miracle, I think Luke is kind of like cluing us in and hinting us and saying, do you see what's about to happen here? I mean, think about it. If, if this is the situation that Jesus encounters, not just Peter, but Jesus encounters in the Gospels, WWJD, I don't know if you remember that as a kid with bracelets and stuff, right? What would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do? I think Luke is kind of asking us, right? What would Jesus do? Now, Luke is presenting this to us, but he's presenting this to his, this, his original audience at the beginning of Acts. It's Theophilus. He's asking Theophilus, he's asking us, think back. Does this story ring any bells for you? Does this remind you of another similar situation? What happened when Jesus encountered a man who was bedridden and paralyzed? We should think about it and say, well, yeah, I, I remember. I, I know what Jesus would do. If Jesus was here, he would heal the man. But, but Jesus, he's, he's in heaven. He's not here. So what are we to do with the man who's, who's paralyzed if, if Jesus is in here? Is he still on the move? I, I don't know. What would Jesus do? And what does that have to do with me? Well, we see the story back in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. Luke, in his first part, writes this about a very similar situation. Luke 5, 17, it says, On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We've seen extraordinary things today. Luke is writing this story about Peter, and he's saying, he, he wants you to see it. You see what's happening here? Jesus did this miracle, and what happens when Peter encounters Ananias? He says, the Lord Jesus heals you. Take it up. Rise up. Walk. Jesus heals you. Make your bed. Luke wants us to see it. Jesus is on the move. He's in heaven, but he's still as active and present today in this book of Acts as he was in that moment. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is healing. He's alive. He's present. He's act as, as active as he was in the stories of the Gospels. Peter, look at this. Peter, don't think that the work is done. Jesus is still on the move. 
don't get comfortable. I'm on the move. I got work for you to do, Peter. You don't even know about it yet, but man, you're about to encounter some amazing stuff. Jesus was on the move. What was the result of of this miracle that Jesus did in Luke 5? It says that the result was amazement. Amazement. But here we have in Acts chapter 9 something much deeper, much more significant than just mere amazement, just astonishment. No, in Acts 9, the result was repentance. The result in Acts 9 was belief. It says the whole town of uh, all the residents of Lydda and the whole region of Sharon, if you want to consider it like an area or, or like a county, they, they saw this man who'd been healed, and it says they turned to the Lord. The result was repentance and belief. Jesus had promised his disciples, and we see it in John 14, 12. He says, you're going to do greater things, and those who believe in me are going to do greater things than they've even seen me do. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than, he, than, than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Here we have an example of it right here. Here we have it. Jesus heals through the ministry of Peter and the town and the surrounding village is turned upside down. Jesus is on the move. He heals. He shows. I'm the author of life and people say, I've got to repent of my old ways. I'm turning to this Lord, this author of life who did this miracle before us. I'm sure Peter's just standing back and going, this is amazing. All I did was come down to hang out and have dinner with a few Christian friends. And all of a sudden now this, this, this town is turned upside down. Lord Jesus, I underestimated you. You are on the move. The people see this healing and they all experience something much greater, much more lasting, much more richer, and much more satisfying than just a man standing up, as amazing as that is. They turn to Jesus in trust forsaking their old way of doing life as their own master and their own savior and they commit their lives to this lord who is the author of life this one who is the hero of the story who's on the move and jesus what does he do he gives them eternal life he gives them life forever friends jesus is on the move well let's take a look at acts uh act number two in acts chapter nine this Jesus raises Tabitha. And, and, and Peter now, he's going to Joppa a little bit more out of his comfort zone. Now we're getting to areas that are mixed Jewish and Gentile. Joppa, it's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it's adjacent to modern-day Tel Aviv, and it's not too far. And so there's some disciples in Joppa that hear that Jesus is on the move in Lydda, and they hear that Peter is there. But why did they call for Peter? Well, we see that this woman, Tabitha, which means uh, Dorcas in, in the Greek, Tabitha in the Aramaic, it means gazelle, and, and she died. Now listen to Tabitha, the description that Luke has of Tabitha. She was full of good works. She was a humble servant. She was full of acts of charity. She was generous. And, and these disciples, their, their hearts are heavy because they've lost a precious, precious sister in the faith. But yet, I believe that there's some faith that they still exhibit in this. They believe that something amazing could happen. They believe that Jesus could be on the move for her. Why? Well, they lay her in an upper room. It just seems odd that they would do that. That wasn't the normal custom, but they, they lay her in this upper room. It's an odd place, but these disciples had heard that Jesus was on the move. They heard that the hero of the story was doing amazing things, and they were anticipating something amazing. 
So Peter arrives. He sees Tabitha's legacy. Isn't it a moving moment when we see that these widows in verse 39, they stood beside Peter weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. What an amazing legacy. Peter sees that Jesus has been on the move. Even He didn't even get to see it. He, he's seeing this charity, this generosity, this love through this woman as she cared for the weak, as she cared for the vulnerable. She was compassionate to the hurting. She lived a life of service and made a huge mark on her community. Think about your legacy. Just yesterday, my, my wife, Laura, and my daughter, Lathia, and I, we, we watched a special that we found on Peacock for uh, Black History Month, and it's this, this biography, this documentary of Rosa Parks. And you know what? My, my daughter, she did a special project on Rosa Parks a couple of years ago. It was pretty cool, but I learned things about Rosa Parks that I'd never learned before. She wasn't just a, a lady who sat on a bus and defiled this, the evil injustice of segregation. No, she was somebody that lived a life of service. You see, after that, we, we don't know too much about it. We know the, the boycott that she initiated through her staying seated on that bus, refusing to get up because of the injustice. But, but she was a, a, someone who cared for those who experienced injustice all throughout her community. She lived a life of service. And I didn't know this, but in, in October of 2005, she was actually laid in honor in the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C., she was more than someone who stood for justice by remaining seated on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She was a woman who lived a life of service, defending the vulnerable, helping those who were in need, and she showed immense courage. Here we have this touching story, this touching story of Tabitha, this person who cared for the weak, cared for the vulnerable, and she was missed dearly. This isn't the main point of what we're talking about today, but I just want us to pause for a moment. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? What kind of things are you working for? What kind of investments are you making in a generation to come? Here we have a beautiful story of a woman who was thought of so lovingly and touchingly after she'd gone away. What would people say about you at your funeral? Well, he, he worked really hard, and he had a beautiful house and a great retirement. She, she did a lot, she did a lot to, to raise her kids, but then she, she sent them off and, and then kind of did things her own way. But oh, to have a legacy of service, humble service, a legacy of generosity, a legacy of following Jesus faithfully and impacting generations to come. And so we see in this touching moment, Peter's surrounded by all those who are weeping. And you gotta ask yourself, again, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Luke's asking the question, what would Jesus do in this touching moment? Well, we know what Jesus would do. We find it in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 to 42 and 49 to 56. It says this, There came a man named Jairus, who was of the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. While she was still speaking, uh, while he was still speaking, excuse me, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. Sounds similar, doesn't it? But he said, Do not weep, for she's dead. Not dead, but sleeping. 
And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now we have the same story recorded in Mark chapter 5, 41. Jesus says to this little girl, he says in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. And I don't think that it's any uh, mistake or any coincidence that here Luke shares with us her Aramaic name, Tabitha, arise, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. Why? Not because I have power, but because Jesus is on the move. Jesus was on the move for this little girl. He raised her from the dead. And in this moment, Peter in prayer, we don't know exactly what the prayer was, but I believe the scripture is teaching us, Luke is telling us, God said, I want you to turn to her. Jesus says, I'm on the move, Peter. Turn to this woman and tell her to arise. I'm raising her from the dead. Don't miss it, friends. Jesus is on the move. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus raises from the dead. Only Jesus. Why? Because Jesus isn't dead. Friend, I want to tell you today, you may be here because you enjoy and appreciate the community that we have here. You, you love the, the love and the charity and all the good things that we have here in this church family. And praise God for it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful, the relationships that we have. But you can't be in God's kingdom and in his community if you will not embrace that our God is a powerful, supernatural God. And this Jesus was not just merely a prophet. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He was dead and he rose from the grave. Friends, we're here today not because we just have a great loving community, but because we worship a risen and powerful supernatural Savior. He's the Lord of all creation, friends. He is this hero. He was on the move, and I believe he's on the move today for us as well. The story in Luke 8 resulted in amazement. The result of this resurrecting power of Jesus but we have here in Acts chapter 9, again, not just amazement, but many believed in the Lord. You see, this, this woman, Tabitha, he was raised from the dead, but Jesus reached down into human hearts through the Holy Spirit, and he gave new, eternal, spiritual life to dozens, if not hundreds, maybe even thousands of people as the result of this healing. Jesus sent the Spirit. People were being transformed for eternal life. Jesus was on the move. How do we see Jesus on the move? Is Jesus on the move for you today? Is Jesus on the move for me today? Is he on the move in, in my life? Is he on the move in my commute, as short as it is? Is he on the move? Is he on the move in my family and in my marriage? Is Jesus on the move in, in this community? Is he in the move in our small groups? Is he in the move, on the move in our city, in our county, in our region, and in the world? How do we see that Jesus is on the move? Three things that I think we could see from this passage. First of all, we see Jesus is on the move. Jesus heals to show that he's the author of life, but Jesus heals through the prayers of his people. That's, that's how Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on the move, and he heals through the prayers of his people. Do you know that prayer is powerful? Did you know that prayer is powerful? Say prayer is powerful. Amen. Prayer is powerful. Jesus heals through the prayers of his people. 
In fact, we see that in, in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. I'll apologize. I don't have it up there for you. But James writes this. Is anyone among you suffering? What do we do? Send him to the doctor. No, no, no. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Friends, if, if we want to see Jesus on the move, it's not by well-planned out church services and, and organizations and, and strategies and, and all of these different social justice initiatives, as important as all these things are. How do we see that Jesus can be on the move in 2023 in Fairfax, Virginia? Prayer. Prayer. God is on the move when God's people pray, when they call out in desperation upon his name. That's what Peter did. He came and, and he prayed right there by the bed of Tabitha, and God raised her from the dead. Jesus is not going to be on the move if we will not be a people who will not pray. Oh, friends, how little, how little I pray. Oh, I wish I prayed more. I long that Jesus would be on the move in my life and in my home and in our church family. But are we willing to ask God for it? Jesus wants to be on the move in your life. Jesus can't wait to be on the move in your home and in your family. And I believe that Jesus can be on the move in this church and in this city. But are we willing to get on our knees? I mean, it's embarrassing sometimes. It even looks humiliating to get on our knees, to weep and cry in desperation and say, Lord Jesus, we want you to be on the move, to heal, to rescue, to deliver, to help, to strengthen, to give us boldness to give us courage. What else do we see about Jesus being on the move in this passage? Jesus heals to display his power. His power. In fact, James chapter 5, it goes on to say, and this, this prayer of faith for the one who's sick will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Why? Because of the object of that prayer. Our God is a powerful God, and Jesus is on the move. Jesus heals to display his power. His power, not our power, not our intelligence. And then I think what we can see from this passage as well is that Jesus heals to advance his purposes, not our purposes. We believe that Jesus is on the move. We believe he's the author of life, but we also confess that he's Lord. He does whatever he pleases, and I praise God that he is a good God. He is a good God. He does good things for his people. We confess that his ways are higher than ours, and his thoughts are higher than ours. He not only has great purposes in healing, he also has great purposes, though, in suffering. Sometimes we pray and, and the Lord Jesus says, I've got something much deeper, much richer, much fuller than healing. I have great power and purpose even in suffering. Listen, friends, we're called to pray for healing, but we must submit to the will of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself prayed to be delivered from the suffering and the cross. He bowed his will, though, to his Father's will. We also pray for healing, but we must bow our will to our Father and to his Son, our Lord Jesus. It's their purposes that we seek, not our own. In fact, we see the purposes of healing 
and the purposes of these signs. John writes that these signs, including healing and raising the dead, have a purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You could take that purpose to the bank, friends. It's always a guarantee. Jesus loves to save sinners. Sometimes he does it through healing. Sometimes he does it through suffering. We bow to the will of the Father. We call upon him to move, but we say, Lord Jesus, would you save? That is your purpose, Lord. I love this. All who come to the Savior will never be cast out. Whether they come in with leprosy or or diseases or cancer or whether they come in with a whole body, we all come through the same way, and that's through Jesus. And he says, I'll never cast you out. Our big idea this morning is that Jesus heals to show us he is the author of life. So what does this mean for Monday? If we want to see Jesus on the move in, in your life and in my life, and we see that We access his power to be on the move through prayer. How then should we pray? How should we pray? How should we pray as we live sent? First of all, I think we need to pray according to his power. We pray according to his power. Now you may think to yourself, okay, well, what does that even mean? Well, I I think that there's a, a version of praying that is very unchristian. And I've been guilty of it so many times. I came across a book recently called, uh, it's titled Pray Big. Pretty simple, right? Pray Big. Learn to Pray Like an Apostle. It's by Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg, he's a pastor up in the uh, Cleveland, Ohio area. Pray Big. But he describes unchristian types of praying. It's the kind of praying that says, we can fix this, right? We've got a problem. There's suffering. There's illness. We can fix this. It's this idea of praying with some vague hope that God is up there, that he's removed, and and that he's distant, and he might care, and he may just bother to act. Uh, But but the idea is that we're going to pray, but really, we believe that we can fix this through our technology, through our, our doing it our own way, through our various stages of discovery. There's something in us that we can fix this. So what do we do? We, we pray vaguely, but we trust in our systems. We trust in our medical uh, discoveries. We trust in our doctors and our nurses. And praise God in his mercy, we live in a day and age where he has graciously given us so many resources for healing and for human flourishing. I'm not against medicine. My mother's a nurse, and she'd beat me up if I, got, if I spoke bad about nurses here today, right? We're not here to say medicine is bad, but we're here to say there's nothing like the power of God. There's no chemotherapy that can heal like the power of Jesus who's on the move. There's nothing. Jesus is on the move. So we have these unchristian prayers that say, Lord, we're asking you to kind of just help us do the things that we need to do. Help us as we go to the doctor and, and let the doctors really fix us, but get us to the right doctor, or get us to the right medication, or get us to the right, the right nurses or the kind of care that we need. That's an unchristian way to pray, friends, and I'm convicted about it because I've been guilty of it before. I think we're afraid to ask in real faith, in real trust that Jesus is on the move to say, Lord, author of life, heal, help rescue, deliver. We trust not in doctors, not in nurses, not in medicines. We trust in you, Lord. You are our Savior. You are the author of life. 
You can fix this. This kind of prayer is dependent. It's humble, yet it's bold and courageous, believing that Jesus is on the move. So we bow our knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, if we want to see Jesus on the move, it's time for us to not stop trusting primarily in our systems, but to get on our knees and ask God to do great things in our midst, to heal, to help, to rescue, to deliver, and above all, to save. To save. And that's the second thing we need to do is, what does this mean for Monday? We, we pray. We're called to pray according to His purposes. His purposes. Healing is often at the top of our list because we're afraid to die, Alistair Begg writes. Did you hear that? Healing is often at the top of our list because we're afraid to die. We want to live. We've got this sneaking suspicion that what we've got now, this side of death, is actually better than what God has for us then on the other side, on the other side of death. So we want to hang on to what we've got, but instead we need to believe God's purposes for us really believe that things are true that God has said, that you've been raised with Christ in the heavenly places, that you've been made a part of a family that will never come to an end. Even if you have to say goodbye to your family in this life, friends, I see so much suffering. We see it all over the place. Children having to say goodbye to parents in death. Parents this one really hurts, saying goodbye to children in death. Oh, friends, we pray, but we pray according to God's purposes with hope, rock-solid hope that we've been raised with Christ in the heavenly places, that we've been made part of a family that will never come to an end, that one day we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. You will see your God face to face and with a heart that no longer burdens and is distracted by sin and a body that's no longer broken and decaying in frailty, that you will praise Him when the eyes of our hearts are open to our future. It changes our lives now, today. It reorders our priorities and it uh, reorders our prayers. We pray with God's purposes in mind. Pray for healing but also understand that, Lord, you've given us something better than anything we could have on this side of heaven, on this side of death. You've given us eternity to be with you forever and ever. That's why we can grieve, not like those who have no hope, but we could grieve and we could suffer with great, great hope because Jesus is on the move. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is the author of life. But it's not just for us, it's for others. Peter was there and he got to see Jesus on the move. And what happened? Entire communities were flipped upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the greatest thing that could ever happen to the one person in your life who needs Jesus? Pray for healing. Pray for help. Pray for deliverance. But what's the best thing? Think about one person in your life, just one person that you know is in trouble and is in great need. What's the best thing that could happen to them? Certainly, I mean, it'd be great if their marriage was restored. It'd be great if they were healed. It'd be great if they could, if they could see their, their child, like, flee from a lot of the horrible things in this world. But what's the best thing that could happen to that one? They'd know Jesus as Savior and as Lord. That they would come alive, not just physically, but that they'd come alive spiritually. That they would repent and believe upon Jesus. This is always God's will. Let them see that Jesus is on the move. 
And his power to heal in this life is just a tiny little taste of what he freely gives for all eternity. Friends, I hope that you believe that Jesus is on the move. I tell you, my faith is tested today. Is Jesus on the move? Every Friday night, we've, uh, Friday afternoon, we've got a prayer team that prays over your needs. We, you saw the slide earlier. You submit it, you register, say, pray for me. This team of people, they pray for you faithfully. We'll have several of them there to your right in just a little bit, and we want to invite you today. If you need to see Jesus on the move in your life, we want to pray with you about this today. They pray for you. But we pray not because it's just something nice to do, but because we're trusting in the power of a Savior who's on the move. And we want to pray not just with our own priorities, simply merely for healing and for help in this life. We're praying for God's purposes in this life and in the life to come that we would see and savor Jesus more deeply than we ever have before. He is the author of life. Pray according to his power. Pray according to his purposes. Are you sick and hurting today? We want to pray for you. But I want to ask you, where you're sitting today, have you ever met the author of life? Have you ever met the author of life? The one who came and died the death that you deserve to die, bearing the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins, for our rebellion, for our disobedience, for our worshiping of idols and not the creator God who made us. He died for you and rose from the dead to prove to you that he's the author of life so that you'd receive his life. Jesus is on the move and he wants to be on the move for you today. I want to ask you, would you give him your life? Confess your sin. Repent. Call upon the name of the author of life today. And he'll be on the move to give you eternal life and joy and peace and hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close this time in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is on the move. Lord, I'll, I'll confess, I'll be the first one here to confess. There are times that I, I doubt, there are times that I question, is Jesus on the move? But I thank you that we saw it today from the book of Acts, that, that Jesus, though he's ascended to heaven, he is active and alive and he's on his throne and he is on the move in the lives of his people for his people to heal, to raise the dead, but, but to give us something even better than that, to give people eternal life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that today we would reflect and think about where are the gaps of faith in my life? Do I, do I really believe that Jesus is on the move? Maybe some here today were, were wondering, Lord Jesus, could you be on the move in my heart? My hard, cold, dead heart, be on the move. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to be on the move in my marriage. Show your power to restore and to heal. Lord, be on the move for my kids. That they would cherish not the things of this world, but Jesus above all. Lord Jesus, be on be on the move in our bodies. There may be some here that are sick today and, and ill and hurting that, that you want to heal. And certainly, we're so thankful for doctors and medication and nurses, but we're calling upon the author of life. Would you heal somebody today? Please do it, Lord. And Lord, I pray there's maybe somebody here today that's never called upon the name of the author of life, the great healer, the hero of our story, 
Lord Jesus, we call upon your name as a church family together right now. And we ask for anyone in our midst that's never called upon his name. Oh, would you touch their hearts that they would do it today. Give them new life, new hearts, new spirits that they'd say, I want Jesus. I believe he's the author of life. Would you be on the move this week as we go to Live Sent Monday through Saturday? We want to see you on the move. We want to see you on the move in our jobs, in our schools, in our lives. We trust you. We love you. And we thank you that you are the author of life. You are our healer. You are our Lord. And you are on the move.